Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Yeah, some notes, some thoughts. We've got what's on tap brought to you by St. Arnold. I think that uh, I want to go back and talk about that Oakland A-Series. I'm actually glad that Tuttle kind of brought it up as we were chatting to open up this podcast because I get stuck in some tough situations where... Uh, you know, I, I have ideas. I get just as frustrated as, as I did as I, when I was a player, if that makes any sense, even in the booth, just because it's hard to explain what's going on in the field, having been in those situations and then trying to explain it, uh, the trade deadline is coming up. I think it's one of the more fascinating ones that is, it is coming because there's two names out there that I want to talk about a little bit and see if Tuttle even thinks that there's a possibility of some, of that, of those trades being made. And then, uh, maybe just go around and, you know, just kind of banter a little bit about what's going on in, in major league baseball, as far as the trades concerned, but Tuttle, what you've been up to in those last week or so? Cause we cranked out a couple of podcasts last week where it got, got kind of fun. We had, uh, podcast with the New York Yankees guys. They were nice. They were congenial. It probably wasn't as aggressive as most Houston fans wanted it to be, but we got some good information out of it. But the last week, man, it's been a while since I've talked to you, dude. What's up? Yeah, Blummer. Welcome back home. Uh, everything is going great. I, uh, From a sports perspective, um, I think we didn't catch up. You and I caught up personally after the All-Star game, but I wanted to touch on the mic'd players. I thought that was great. Now, if there's a bias oh, yeah. for who they mic'd and who they wanted to listen to, that's interesting. But uh, <laughs> anyway, we had some thoughts on the mic'd players. The Kyler Murray thing was really interesting, and I thought I would get Ooh, your yeah. thoughts as a as a 14-year big leaguer in the clubhouse with these clauses in the contract. And um, we saw today they, they just nixed that paragraph out of the contract, but it, it's... You know, it might be making a mountain out of a molehill, but I also think, you know, something like that just, I mean, I don't know. It's either overblown or not. But, yeah, things are going well. We're uh, progressing through the summer. School's going to start soon. I'm sure your uh, your daughter's oh, getting man. ready for college. And, uh, yeah, things things are just – somebody said it's, like, kind of slow through your 20s, or your 30s. You get to mid-30s, you know, 40s, <laughs> like, and it's a blink of an eye, and it does feel like everything is uh, – happening in the blink of an eye except for this podcast so i really enjoy the time that we have and uh when we get mm -hmm. together it's uh it's always fun so what's on tap brought to you by saint arnold we're going to get into it yeah it, it things do move kind of quick and i love the fact that we can kind of spiral out of control on this podcast and talk a little bit we appreciate our fans and who's listening of course you can get to us uh on twitter and instagram myself at blummer 27 you can use that handle on both instagram and on twitter and then of course at real david tuttle also on twitter and of course if you really want all the updates and some better content than what we provide sometimes you can go to at bleacher blums on both instagram and on uh, twitter they'll keep you updated give you links and of course we have a website bleacherblums.com you can check out all the swag like I've got on. Ooh. That's in press. And then Tuttle's got the hat on with the Bleacher Blums logo on it. And, of course, we are on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Every now and then they put us on their MLB page. I have to call them constantly and make that happen. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, the we best to way to get them. on their MLB page is to go on the, uh, the Bronx Pinstripes podcast and we get on there somehow. So. Hey, mm. it's all about marketing, man. We're, we're trying to figure yeah. it out, but uh, we have our loyal fans and we greatly appreciate you. So make sure you subscribe, rate, review, have a little fun with us, get at us, and we'll have a good time. But 
I want to start off with something we were talking about before we actually got this podcast started, uh, Tuttle, is the fact that you were watching the games in Oakland because I actually, let's go back. We come out of all-star break. The Astros sweep a doubleheader against the Yankees. Then they proceed to go into Seattle where Seattle and the Mariners organization had been pumping this as the American League Western Division World Series and sellouts and all-star logos being unveiled. Julio, the great Julio Rodriguez, who hit 81 home runs in the, in the all-star break, who did not play in that series, kind of interesting drama out there, but the Astros go out there and sweep them. They go up into Seattle, play in front of about 45,000 people each night and sweep them proceed to go down to Oakland and play in front of, I think, 4,200 people, 5,100 people, and then 9,100 people in a three-game in a three game series and get swept by the Oakland A's. And you texted me a couple of times. I sent you video of the stands. It was unbelievable to see the scattered crowd there. And that's where I run into a tough spot where I'm trying to explain what in the heck is going on and why can't, why, why do they play so well against good teams and then just kind of fizzle out against some of the weaker teams like the Oakland A's who are the worst team in American league baseball, yet they can't, they can't win one out of three games. What did you see and help me with my broadcast skills? Because I didn't know what to do or say. Yeah, you know, you're in a tough spot, Blummer. We talked about that in terms of, you know, the honesty. And you and I have talked consistently about the uh, analytics versus the eyeball test. And I do, there is some truth to this. And, you know, we talked about momentum and, you know, motivation and, gosh, sweeping the Yankees, sweeping the Mariners off of a 14-game winning streak and knocking them kind of out of the tree is, you know, there's a little, there's a little, I don't know, swoon, right? Like you're like, oh, okay, well, we did that. We've won five in a row against these juggernauts. Um, you know this very well with the fans and stuff. Sometimes the booing or the cheering or the just there's an energy that's provided True. by the the crowd. And uh, me with my uh, outstanding experience in minor league baseball, you know, we had a playoff game that had like 4,700 people and you're like, wow, this place is packed. Uh, but typically <laughs> on a given night, you were looking at what you just said, you know, somewhere between like two and 3,000 people. And, uh, you know, the energy can be low and you can hear a pin drop and what the hell are you guys doing out here? Like, you know, Literally. so I can, you can, you know, to give the Astros the benefit of the doubt from that perspective, you know, coming off five awesome games and you know we can get into how that how they won those two series um there's bound to be a little letdown but i don't think a letdown i mean there's nobody in that clubhouse that couldn't get up for game three when they lost the first two or uh you know even push themselves to be a little bit um you know more focused on a on a series like this because these are the these are the teams you don't want to be losing to, and these are the games that you don't want to give away when it comes down to like best record uh, again, you know, with the Yankees and you know some of the other teams in the mix there. True. So I think it could but come back to hurt them, but uh, you know, I, I, maybe it's not fair because I'm not giving you anything to say on the broadcast because because as you said, you have to give these, you have to go in the clubhouse, you have to interview these guys, but you know, it'd be actually it would be kind of interesting to ask them with some perspective now that you're back home, like hey. You know, what did you see in that series? Was mm -hmm. the team just, you know, was there just a drain in energy? Because going from Seattle to Oakland is not a long flight. You didn't fr fly across the country. You know, you weren't True. in a different time zone. I mean, we could come up with all these analytical <laughs> excuses, <laughs> excuses and none of, them, yeah. none of them sit well. So maybe we could just say that the A's, you know, 
the A's did just enough to win. Now, I'll, I'll get into some specifics and throw it back to you, which is, you know, watching Luis Garcia pitch. Um, I didn't think he pitched well enough off his fastball and really the whole game. And I remember this being on the mound. This is what's so frustrating now. And and I want to remember being a player. Start having those is, flashbacks. Yeah. Well, you know, that third inning, you know, he, you know, strike out a guy, walk a guy, walk a guy. And now you're kind of into the meat of the order. Pinders leading their team and, you know, RBI since they moved him to, you know, the cleanup spot, things like that. And you're just watching him pitch going, man, I don't think he's throwing enough fastballs. And, you know, that there was a an at bat right before that where it looked like he punched the guy out and it didn't happen and this happens and and you want to be you guys you and TK do a great job of this but you know you have the strike zone there i actually now this is easy to say when i wasn't on the when i'm not on the mound mm-hmm. if you can keep the eye level of the umpire in the same spot and you can keep your consistency like tom glavin used to do he will give you those calls if oh, you're all over the place, you walk a guy on five, four pitches, you walk the next guy on five pitches, and then you paint one, you know, that paint that one, two pitch away. You typically don't get that pitch. You know this. Even as a hitter, mm-hmm. you're like, whew, that one looked pretty good. Yeah, but I never so you've thought got the- of it in the sense that you said, don't don't change the umpire's eye level. I've never, I've yeah. never even heard of that. That's actually right. interesting. Oh, really? Oh, gosh. I hope I didn't. <laughs> I just make up no, something. No, that's I mean, awesome. Oh, right. That's something now. Now that's something I can use uh, in the broadcast. There you go. (laughs) So the umpire is looking and showing that you, you know, you and the catcher are working together. Maldonado is working really hard with him. And it's like location, location, location. I guess I've seen this new technique. They drop the glove so that the eye level changes Mm -hmm. now for the umpire. I mean, they're always working to gain as many uh, advantages as they can. But there was one pitch in there that was really close. I think this the um you know the zone had it. What what's the uh the strike zone thing there? The MD Anderson strike zone. Oh, uh, the MD Anderson strike zone had it as a strike, and it was called a ball. But you know your pitching coach, your manager, your teammates would say, "Hey, like you know, buck up, like that. You know, he missed that one, but bear down and get the next guy." And yeah, it make didn't a better happen. pitch. Right, but I back to what I was saying in totality, mm-hmm. the. The whole inning, the whole game hinged on that one inning, right? Oh, yeah. In my opinion, it was right? The four, one inning beat the Astros that day, yeah. Exactly. And I think that's what you have to eliminate it, especially against the the bad teams. And, you know, you said earlier before we were, you know, on the air or essentially recording, you should go back to the fundamentals when you're struggling, which is, you know, hard in, soft away. And it's easy to say in hindsight, but I, as a fan, and I typically am pretty unbiased watching the Astros and the A's play. I don't really have any dog in the fight. I like listening to you guys, and I know the Astros are a strong team. But watching it, I was like, man, all if he had gotten out of that inning right there, you know, then the game, I think the Astros probably win that game. So the whole game hinged on that one inning, and I thought he threw too many you know, soft pitches away essentially. So anyway, got a little yeah. off track, but it was not a no. it, not a great series to watch. No, it, it, but that was the thing though, is I think a lot of pitches were on that outside corner, whether they be fastball or curveball or slider cutter. You know, if if I'm a right-handed hitter, I start to lean out there a little bit and just I only have to cover one part of the zone. And you know this as well as I do, being a pitcher, if you can force a hitter to to cover two sides of the plate and then cover up, cover down and then cover velocity. I mean, those are just all kinds of added things that complicate an at bat for a hitter. But if I, if you start to eliminate, you know, the inside and middle and you're just staying on the outside, then I, that's one thing I can eliminate and say, okay, I'm just sitting on the outside corner. Then I just have to adjust to spin or I have to adjust a fastball. 
But it's amazing how the momentum seems to shift when you don't get that call. All of a sudden, you're like, man, I got to make a better pitch. And then you start to try and be a little bit too fine. You start to get off the edge, walk a guy, walk a guy. And all of a sudden, you've got traffic with two guys on. And then you do make that mistake with the hanging curveball, and it gets crushed out for a grand slam like it did on Pinder. And you can literally, I mean, it happens sometimes in a game, but you know, not too often, but that was literally, <laughs> it's rare that you can sit there and at the post game interview and go, I literally made one bad pitch and granted you walked a guy, but the one bad pitch got squared up and shot out of the ballpark for a four run Homer. And you're sitting there going, damn, if I would have just made a couple that one pitch a little bit better, maybe I get the rollover and the ground out or the double play or whatever it was. But, uh, when you when you lose command like that Tuttle and you're you're not able to execute your game plan the way you want against a team that's where I think we kind of talked about the fundamentals and same thing happens to me when I'm not uh, hitting well is okay I'm not covering the slider I'm not covering the curveball I'm out in front of the changeup what's the one thing I can try and do I start to eliminate things and I start to simplify and I say okay. I'm sitting fastball the entire bat. If I don't get it, I'm not swinging. I'm going to force yep. the pitcher to get in the zone, and then all of a sudden, maybe I can work off that fastball. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about with Luis Garcia. And so even guys in the big leagues, once you get in a position where you're struggling a little bit, what's my best pitch? What's my most consistent pitch I throw for a strike? Let's start with that and then work off of that pitch. And typically, it's that fastball like you're talking about. Yeah, and it's arm slot too. You got to sometimes feel the ball leave your hand. I remember getting, you know, slider happy or something and you're kind of you you're whether you're short arming it or you're getting your hand around the side of the ball instead of staying on top, throwing a fastball or feeling that fastball get your arm extended, get you out where you want to be. And it's funny because I did watch a, a couple of games on the road trip, and when JV got in trouble, it was two nothing. Gave up the home run, gave up a double. Now he's got a guy in third. Now you know. Now he's in big trouble. And guess what? He threw most of that this guy's inning a really to get good out. Example, now, yeah. He went fastball, and he went fastball. I think for a couple reasons. His velo's good, you know. But gosh, Garcia throws ninety five when he needs to. Yeah, yeah right. But that's because he was letting it go with confidence. And you and I have said this before. I want to get beat. This is middle in. If you can turn this middle in 96-mile-an-hour fastball around, beat with number one. that's now. fine. I don't want to get beat with my changeup and be like, oh, you know, and you see duck farts off changeups, like the guy's trying to stay back. It makes the hitter work quicker too, right? Like you said, you might be sitting on fastball, but everything gets sped up because that thing gets mm -hmm. on you quick, and you have to make a decision, swing or no swing, swing or no swing, in the zone, out of the zone. You have to make a split-second decision decision we talked about this on the bronx min, uh, pinstripes podcast is you can't go up there looking for all four pitches you can't be like all right all right this guy's got all four things working today what am i going to do right you have to eliminate and pitchers have to eliminate as well so i think the difference between jv i mean aside from the experience and he has a lot of confidence and he know he's he knows that he's done it and had success. Sometimes that's all you need. And when people say, oh, this rookie is pitching beyond his years, when you look at those guys, I remember last year with the Braves. Now, some of those guys were older bullpen guys, but their bullpen got on fire. Those guys mm -hmm. were going out there with confidence. And that's what I think it means to pitch beyond your years. And I say, if you take the two games, yeah. the one where JV got out of the jam and the one where Luis gave up that long ball, I think it's just... In that instance, uh, you know, kind of a simple solution would just pitch with confidence and pitch off your best pitch. Don't kind of nickel and dime or don't, you know, putz around. 
Yeah, don't complicate the situation. I want to talk. That's good baseball talk, and that's actually something you can give your kids if you have that young, you know, young pitcher that you're kind of nurturing, and things start to get a little astray. Just get back to the fundamental. Get good with the fastball. Perfect that one pitch that you can get back into counts with before you start to get to the other other pitches and the off speeds. But another thing I want to talk about with you, and sometimes sometimes I have a tough time understanding it, is when they do get into a series <clears throat> where you're playing against. Uh, the Oakland A's in Oakland in front of 4,000 people. How do you how do you ramp that thing up? Because the only thing I can compare it to, or I try to imagine, is when when you go into a series against the Yankees. Obviously, the the media attention, the the knowledge that the guys across the way are some of the best players in baseball, and you got to compete and you got to raise your game to compete against them. The Astros are very good at that, so it kind of turns into this epic battle where the intensity is kind of built into the game. And then you go to Seattle in a similar situation where you've got a team in second place trying to creep it up on you. And you're like the big brother that just keeps shoving them down. Yeah, I'm going to go out there and beat their ass kind of thing. And then you go into a series against the Oakland A's. And this is the comparison I'm trying to draw or I kind of imagined is it's like a spring training game. There's just not that intent to go out there and do damage. There's not just not that intensity of going out there and proving to the world that you're better than the Oakland A's because even though they got swept, everybody knows the Oakland A's or the Astros are better than the Oakland A's. So that was really, and I didn't know how to explain that. Maybe a little more time on this podcast allows me the opportunity to kind of think (laughs) it through the process. But in the moment I'm sitting there going, why can't these guys figure out, you know, you know, Cole Irvin and who pitched great Frankie Montas pitched great. Um, you know, but you know, Adam Aller, you should go out there and beat guys like this. But for whatever reason, I think it turns into a spring training game a little bit as far as the mentality in, okay, you know what? I kind of got beat on this pitch, so I'm going to work on this. I need to get my arms in a better spot, maybe find that uh, that swing slot a little bit better. And then all of a sudden, it turns into a, a functional at bat instead of a, 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 a game at bat, if that makes any sense. And that's what it kind of felt like. It almost felt like a little bit of the, just the routine of getting some work in as opposed to going out there and beating somebody. Does that make any sense? It completely makes sense, and I think you articulated it well. I mean, you're talking about – a. Um it's like golfers on the driving range. I mean, you're talking about it as a, all right, oh, yeah. I got to, you know, I got to keep my backside. Okay. He's throwing Good these analogy. kind of pitches yeah. almost. Yeah. A very functional mechanical kind of approach versus, Hey, I got to grip it and rip it. Right. Which is what, you know, in the world yeah, series, that's down. what this you're doing. In, this guy's in scoring position. I yeah. got to lock down instead of being just yeah, like, yeah. Oh, man, I wonder if I could take yeah. this pitch and. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. And I, well, I mean, I think you were saying that it was tough for you on the broadcast and maybe hindsight helps a little bit, but yeah, it, watching it on TV, it was hard to kind of see the, you know, yes, there's nobody in the stands, but all these games are, uh, you know, essentially they all count the same. <laughs> yeah. And, and you have uh, a chance it was to hard. add your numbers too, you know, that's, well, I always said that anyway. Ooh, high register there. I always said that. Um, I I always I always said that anyway, which is when I was a reliever, maybe high leverage situations. It's hard to get the uh, build your average. You know, eighth inning. You know, game on mm-hmm. the line. It's hard. You know, I, I you know I had the advantage. I felt like maybe not when I took the mound, but you know, as a hitter. You want to get to starters four and five, and you want to get to games where they're out of control, like 13 to one, either way, mm-hmm. right? Whether you're losing 13 to one or winning 13 to one, you're going to face, you know, the guys that are kind of the uh, end of the roster, right? You're not facing the one and two starters. And that's how you stay in the big leagues because you're a big league hitter, you're professional, and, you know, you make your, your living there. And I think you're right. 
that all those at bats count. And against the A's, Montas is a good pitcher. He's on the trading. You know, they've talked about him at the trade yep. deadline. But you know, we made fun of Irvin. I guess. Hey, by the way, an aside. I saw um, the other pitcher was wearing his yellow belt. I wonder if it's a it's an intentional thing. Now. <laughs> You're all over this maybe, yellow belt, man. <laughs> maybe I gotta be. Maybe I'm the one that goes to Kangaroo Court because Montas was wearing a yellow belt too. And I was like, God, I was getting maybe Irvin, it's a pitcher Irvin. thing. Your pitchers are weird, man. You guys are all oh, awkward, man. anyways. Yeah, we're, we're the real athletes wearing the yellow belts. Oh, I don't know. There oh, anyway. So so to your point, no, I think it does make sense, but uh, but that's not something that, you know, hopefully Dusty allows to happen again. And that's something where the coaching can probably come in. You know, if you're going to have a loose kind of clubhouse and you're going to have a quick statement about it, I think you hit the nail on the head, which is, hey, all these games count the same. Like we got to, you know, we got to get ourselves yeah. together. We don't want to, you know, we don't, we don't want to take it too lightly. And, and you know, you mentioned some things before about their lineup. I mean, it, you cannot go through the A's lineup and name all the guys unless they have unique names like Sky Bolt <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, Chad Pinder. But uh, anyway, so I think we've kind of covered that. I think the intensity needs to be there. Um, we had been doing like what's hot and what's not, but the Dodgers, I mean, oh my God, they're just on fire every night they win. I mean, they probably won like 19 out of 20. And nobody's talking about them out here. So I think, uh, you know, from a National League perspective, the Padres have been playing well. It's kind of like a crash course with the Dodgers. Who wants to play the Dodgers in the World Series? Is it going to be the Astros or Mm -hmm. is it going to be the Yankees? And, you know, this might be the case that happens in the NFL that the the Yankees and the Astros beat each other up so bad all the way there to get there (laughs) that the... uh, You know, I mean, I don't know what you're thinking because we had predicted that the Blue Jays might make it this year, but... I mean, it kind of seems like a one-horse race in the National League, and I don't know how much you've been paying attention, but you know the box scores are are pretty no. uh, stout. It's ridiculous. It, I think what's great about what the Dodgers are doing is that it, it covers up what Cody Bellinger and uh, Max Muncie are doing. You don't even worry about what those guys are doing because they're scoring eight runs a game, and those guys are just kind of, hey, play some good defense, get the occasional bomb, we'll be good, bro. And uh, once you get to the playoffs, maybe those guys catch fire and can carry you through a series, but... I think out, out out west where you're at, I think the fact that the Dodgers don't get much notoriety and even all over the country, everybody's just kind of like, nah, they won again. You know, I mean, they've got the best team in baseball. They've got the biggest payroll. Uh, they've got several all stars on that team, so I think everybody just kind of has for has just given them the the, um, the National League West for sure. But I think they've all put them in that National League Championship Series. And to be honest, who's it going to be? Is it going to be the Mets? Is it going to be the Braves? Because I don't think it, the Central is going to compete. Uh, rumors out west are that uh, Juan Soto's in the mix for the San Diego Padres. Is he enough to put them over the top? I don't know, but uh, you know the Dodgers are the best team, and I think that you know, a lot of it's going to come down to what uh, the Yankees and Astros are able to do to try and compete and offset what the Dodgers are doing because you know as well as I do, or probably better than I do, how good the Dodgers are, and uh, it's just a foregone conclusion that they're going to win the West and uh, be representing the National League in the World Series. I mean, is there another team out there that you're even worried about with some of these trade moves that are going on for the New York Mets? Uh, not at all. <laughs> I mean, how can we? That I mean, crazy? It's, a, it's not even a thought, man. No, it's not at all. So why don't we? Uh, why don't we take a quick break here from the uh, Blue Wire Podcast Network, and let's come back and talk about some of the trade uh, possibilities for any of these teams to compete with the Dodgers, the Astros, and the Yankees. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back. 
to the Blue Wire Podcast Network and the Bleacher Blums Podcast. Blummer, we were talking about the uh, Dodgers out west and then the Astros and the Yankees, but uh, the trade deadline is va- uh, fastly approaching, rapidly approaching. Uh, early next week, it'll all be done. Ben Intendi just got traded to the Yankees, so it's already started. You mentioned Juan Soto to the Padres, and I just keep thinking, I know Tatis isn't out there, but you have Tatis, Machado, and then Soto. I mean, they couldn't possibly sign Soto to a you know 15-year, $450 million deal, could they? Like, I mean, that's just three guys. And uh, anyway, that's a whole nother story. I know he would be a rental, at least for this point, right? He's going to be a free agent. So, I think he has a couple more oh, no. years of, uh, that's right. he uh, has of two, arbitration, has, which is you're crazy. Right, you're right. Yeah. So I, but I, so the reason I brought up rental, you're right. He has two more years uh, of arbitration, but there's no way that they, you know, they wouldn't keep him around for. Oh, I guess they, I guess they could keep him for arbitration and then get rid of him. That'd be weird. Anyway, would, or you flip him at the before that last year of free agency. You flip him for you know then more you, prospects. I mean, there's all right. kinds of options with this guy. Oh yeah, maybe that's Think the stuff that. we need to get into. So I I don't yeah. know the Padres. The Padres have certainly upgraded their team. They've got a fantastic manager in Bob Melvin, but you know they're dealing with the juggernaut Dodgers. And you already mentioned uh, Bellinger and Muncy not hitting up to what they were used to. But then you got guys like Will Smith that step in and Tony Gonsolin, who's an All Star, and like nobody thought he was going to, you know. <laughs> and now, I mean, you just and you know if Clay, Clayton Kershaw's your three or four, and he threw like seven perfect innings, you know, two weeks ago, it's like he looks like he's back they in have, form. Yeah, but they have, and this kind of goes back to when you asked me about the Giants or the Giants in you know in contention or what are the Giants doing? It's like go through the Dodgers lineup, go through the Astros lineup, go through the Yankees lineup from top to bottom, and compare it to any other lineup in baseball. Now the Blue Jays are in there maybe offensively, but not pitching. I mean, everybody's a threat in that lineup, and you already pointed out like if you have Bellinger batting nine hole, a former uh, Rookie of the Year. <laughs> An MVP, MVP candidate. Yeah. So it's like, all right. I mean, what what are you going to do? So anyway, so give me the, your thoughts on like Juan Soto, which teams need to get better. Are the Astros going to make a move, which we touched on last time? I mean, what do we got? Yeah, obviously my knowledge is a little more, you know, acute when it comes to the, some of this stuff. I try and keep an eye on the league just for the podcast and just for my own knowledge when I'm talking during a broadcast. But for the Astros, I think it's pretty simple. There are that's what's probably most interesting to me is as good as the Yankees are, as good as the Padres are, as you know, th- there there are moves that these teams can make to actually become better teams. And I think if you're a GM of some of these teams, that's your idea. The best way to learn a language: immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts that help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. 
That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. I'm not just going to go out and make trades just to say I made a trade or make these lateral moves just to say that I made moves. I think you really need to go out there and investigate who's going to make your team better. So then you have to look at aspects of your team that are weaker than you would want them to be. Now for the Astros, just being brutally honest, you could upgrade behind the plate offensively, maybe not defensively, but if you could get somebody that that could offer a little more consistency offensively behind the plate, then you may kick the tires on that. Wilson Contreras, the catcher for the Cubs, is obviously a guy that I think several teams are looking at, including the New York Mets, who would be an upgrade behind the plate. I think in the outfield, if you you know if Brantley comes back healthy, obviously he's going to play you some good left field and put together some unbelievable at bats and help your team. Uh, leaving Kyle Tucker in right field, I think, is the best bet. So, is there somebody that you can fill in center field and upgrade in center field? That's the one spot where the Astros have been maybe mediocre to okay, but they could definitely find an upgrade. I know that uh, there's a guy in Pittsburgh. I hope I'm saying his name right, Brian, or saying his first name, Brian Reynolds who's a very good center fielder. They also have a reliever out there, uh, Bednar. Who, If you could package a Reynolds-Bednar uh, guy or type trade to be able to get relief help and get a center fielder, I think that would be a, a lot of fun to try and figure out how to make that work. And then if you go to the bullpen, I think the Astros are kind of lacking that left-handed uh, reliever to come in and match up against some you know power left-handed hitters or some very good left-handed hitters in lineups. Because you have Phil Maton, Hector Neris, Rafael Montero, Ryan Stanek. Those guys are all good against left-handed hitters, but you want to save those guys for a little bit later in the game or a little more leverage situations or better matchups against right-handed hitters so that you have that left-handed reliever coming out. So that's the, the only real things I could see with the Astros is maybe a left-handed reliever if they can upgrade and get somebody that's going to be better than Maton, Stanek against left-handed hitters. And then if you could get an upgrade in the outfield and maybe if you can upgrade, oh, there's another name uh, being bounced around Josh Bell, uh, first baseman for the Nationals who's hitting 300 and his name's going all over the place. And I think he's a guy that might actually be the primary target for the Astros because as we stand, Yuli Gurriel is not driving in runs at a pace that he's accustomed to. And I think that they realize that they could, if they could get more production out of that first base spot, they would be a better team. And interesting stat. This is uh, Steve Sparks brought this up to me. Yuli, after last night's game, hit has 29 doubles, 27 RBIs. Crazy. Yeah. Does that speak to Yuli or does that speak to nobody on base? I mean, I'm curious. And, you know, no, you're he's, not he's had out- opportunities on base. No, I, oh, I mean, okay. I could dig into the notes. We actually looked at this and I started to dig. His his batting average with runners in scoring position is is in the, you know, 150s to 160s. Uh, batting average with runners on base is down. There's just, there's numbers that are backing up what the eyes are telling you as far gotcha. as that's concerned. And, and, and he I was the opposite the, the last two years, right? Oh, man. He was a machine. You put a guy at, Dude, Yuli was the best. He was automatic the last three or four years with a guy at third base, less than two outs. It was either a deep fly ball or a base hit RBI every single time. He was unbelievable. And is that because, do you think this is a father time catching up to him? I mean, we talked about, I think he got the two-year deal at whatever, 38, 39, and you're like, eh. I think that's the easiest excuse because the one thing that eludes you when you do get older, and I can attest to this because I played until I was – 
man, almost 40 years old. And the one thing that really got to me, and I probably could have done a better job in adjusting to, and, and I'll tell you what adjustment I should have made looking back at it is, but as time went on, obviously pitchers are getting better. Velocity is getting better. Spin is getting better. But my bat speed really started to slow down. And if I wasn't keyed on a pitch or ready early enough, I had no shot. I was getting beat left and right. So, it, you know, it leads to a little bit of panic when you do that as a hitter. And that's not good uh, because a wise uh, a wise lyricist for, the, for Chevelle once said, panic leads to remorse. And uh, a lot of my panic swings led to swings and misses, which led to a lot of remorse and a lot of thought. But one of the things I, I truly could have done as an older ball player is is swung a a lighter bat, and I just never did. I was just too arrogant, too cocky. I can I can beat this thing, and guess what? I'm a broadcaster now. So <laughs> I'm glad to say that you have some remorse about things like that too. There were a couple years where I went to winter ball, and a pitching coach tried to make some tweaks. You know, he's like, "Hey, you haven't made it yet." You know, at the high level, and let me give you some advice, kid. And I was, you know, an older kid at that time, and I took mm -hmm. some of it, man. So I was almost too open to advice instead of the other way around. And I should have kind of stuck to it? some of the things I was really comfortable with. But also, to your point, not having regret, like why. If I throw the ball 92 to 93 miles an hour, why did I have to throw every pitch at 92 to 93? You know what I mean? You would learn that, oh gosh, the hitter's keyed on your 92 to 93 every time. Why don't this I make this one point. 87? But nope, ego, I'm going to blow this mm -hmm. ball right by him. And you're sitting on something and it's like, Anyway, so to your point, it's nice, and I don't mean this. This is like, what is it? Uh, you know, we can commiserate together and be like, all right, at least Blum had some regrets too. That makes me feel better. Oh, yeah. I have regrets. I mean, you know, it kind of goes to the beginning of our conversation. Like, it's easy to sit here in the stands or you know on television and watch what's going on. And go, oh, this guy should be yeah. doing this. But uh, anyway, but it's yeah. I mean, you probably should have swung a lighter bat, and I should I should have taken some velocity off some pitches, and you know, kind of add and sub added and subtracted more. So so back to what you said. Now, do you call out names? I mean, it is a podcast, but I mean, we're talking about Mashinsky who just came back, right? And then we're talking about Myers, Jake Myers. Um, do you think it's, there's always an upgrade out there. Um, yes. But Myers is certainly well-liked in the clubhouse. He's good. He was injured for a while. He just came back. He seems to be playing a decent center field. Um, obviously, Guriel is a kind of a mainstay in the clubhouse. It's He's not a, a personal in the clubhouse, thing. I feel like. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That's so it's not a personal part. thing. Right, no. but do you, do you, I mean, it doesn't really matter. We're just talking about statistics and upgrades, right? Like, I mean, if they, mm -hmm. if they can get, find a guy who no, will it's be an upgrade be, yeah, over Jake Myers, they'll up. do it. Yeah. 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 Okay. No, that's a, it's a harsh reality inside the clubhouse. You know, as well as I do that, you know, we've been on teams where like, well, you know, I'm not doing my job. That's why they called this guy. So, you know, but you, it's a tough understanding, but it's also an understanding. But I think you're also on a team that is a championship worthy team. You're not talking about the Yankees, Mets, uh, Braves, Dodgers, Padres. These are teams that aren't talking about getting into the playoffs. These are teams that are talking about winning World Series championships. So I think that's where the, right. the conversation changes a little bit. And if I'm the manager of the Astros, I sit down with Jake Myers and I go, hey, man, you're, you are a very good young ball player, but we are going to go out and win a World Series and we have the opportunity to pick up, you know, whoever it may be, and we're going to go do that. So 
you know, you have to understand that winning is going to, is going to supersede your ego. You're still a part of this organization. We still see you in our future, but for the, for this moment right here, we are going to go get this guy. We're going to compete. We need you on board kind of thing. And I think that's the same conversation you have with Yuli Gurriel, who might be a little bit more understanding because he is older. He's been through, you know, championship teams. He understands what it takes to win. And he also, unfortunately, probably looks in the mirror and says, man, I just, I, I can't get it going. Something's wrong with me. I want to fix it, but it's just not working. And now they have an opportunity to upgrade. I'm still going to get my playing time, but picking up Josh Bell would really make us a very good team and make us able to beat some better teams and get to the World Series. So as tough yeah. a pill as that is, you really have to do a good job as a manager to go in there and manage some egos and talk to those guys and get everybody in there together on the same page and saying, this isn't personal about you. It's not the fact that I don't like you and I don't want you on my team. I love you and I want you on my team, but I have a chance to go get better. And that's the whole idea when you're playing these these sports is to get better and win World Series championships. So it's a tough conversation, but those are the names that uh, I think are being thrown around. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you, being out there on the West Coast, how realistic is it that Shohei Otani gets traded, man? Yeah, I don't think it's realistic. I mean, he said he wants to be uh, an angel. It just made me a flashback to Crash. Hey, Crash, come in the office, shut the door. Um, those conversations, yeah. you know, those conversations have to be had. It'd be interesting, like you said, if you acquired a Josh Bell, if Jake Myers was part of the deal, right? Like, or Guriel was part of That's the deal. That's the other thing. Shoot, and, it might be like, we, we saw you as our future, but we have an upgrade and good luck where you go. I mean, that's crazy exactly. too. And that helps, though, because then you don't have to have as hard of a conversation and they get a new start mm -hmm. somewhere else with you know a team that wants them. True. I'm wondering, and I will answer your question, I'm wondering if Josh Bell gets traded, um, is that a domino too, right? Because you have Josh Bell and Soto in that Washington. That happens a lot. As soon as yeah. Josh Bell gets traded, Soto, who already didn't sign the deal, is like, all right, now you know what's happening in Washington. The The cards are on the table, as it were. So that's really mm -hmm. interesting. Um so Shohei, I mean, there's been a lot of, you mentioned how quiet it is on the West Coast about the Dodgers. The Angels are, I mean, Trout, they're asking whether his career's over. Now, he poo-pooed that Damn, yesterday. that but spiraled out of control, yeah, man. Yeah, that did. And I think, you know, there are a couple of things that spiraled out of control that we want to get to also, and I'll transition to that next. But I, I just think the Angels with Rendon, Trout, and Shohei Otani, I know we say this every year, like, let's run it back, right? Like, they got to run it back. I just think we haven't seen the best of them. We haven't seen them all together and healthy. And, you know, only True. the medical team knows what Trout is going through. But it sounds like Trout said, no, 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 this is not a career thing. This is just a little thing. And it was kind of a, you know, a finicky thing. And then you know this darn well, just wait, you know, I think how we led the podcast off with how the Astros played against the Oakland A's. Is Mike Trout super motivated to hustle back into the lineup on a team that's, you know, essentially 20 games out of first place and probably <laughs> doesn't have a lot to uh, play for moving forward? And this is the problem, right? Rendon tried to come back and, you know, they were in the mix when Madden was there, right? They won a bunch of games and then they went on that slide and fired the manager and did all this stuff. But Gosh, it's, there's just so many things. There's so many variables out here. You know, um, we, you know, we've talked about Nevin. Like, what a what a crummy managing job because you're taking over for a guy who got fired. <laughs> you have no Rendon, spot. no Trout. 
I mean, and then, oh yeah, Shohei is the MVP. Let's pitch him every night and hit him every night and see how that, (laughs) see how that works out for 162 games. Like, you know, I mean, he really has, it's like a one trick pony. So great. Mm -hmm. Rendon's on the beach in SoCal and, and Trout's like getting, you know, PT work and Shohei's out there throwing seven innings, punching out 12 and then hitting 50 home runs. And there's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, there's n- nothing to show for it. So I, I don't know. I, I think it would be really difficult for the Angels to trade him unless they felt like, you know what? If Rendon comes back and Trout comes back and we can get two pitchers and we get these guys healthy, I mean, right, it has to do with what's in there. I don't think they're mm-hmm. thinking about winning it this year. And you and I talked about this. If you have, if you smell blood in the water like a shark, if this is your year to turn it around and this is your year to go for it, then I think they would do it. I just don't think... I think staying put um, is probably the best the best action. What yeah. What do you think? I mean, you've heard obviously the rumors; <sighs> otherwise, you wouldn't ask the question. But I mean, do you turn him around or not, dude? I don't know. I mean, that's a tough call. He's heading into free agency, and obviously, he's going to warrant a ridiculous contract, just like Juan Soto. But Juan Soto has a couple of years of control left, where you go to arbitration, maybe pay him twenty five, thirty million dollars, or you know, over the next couple of years, which obviously is a chunk of change, but at the same time, it's not a $500 million contract. Now, Shohei Otani, man, that, that is such a tough call because you're going to have to leverage the world to go and get this guy and put him on your team. I think, I think teams that think about getting Shohei Otani would be a Dodgers, a Yankees. I don't even think it would be an Astros in the mix just because you would have to leverage so much to get him. And then the idea of trying to keep him is ridiculous because that contract is going to be so massive that, you know, what are you willing to give up to rent him for two months? Is he going to give you enough? You're going to get maybe five regular season starts out of him. Obviously, he's a big bat, a huge left-handed swing in your lineup. And then you get to the playoffs and you get to use him both ways again, which would be a lot of fun to watch. And I think that's probably the most disappointing thing about Shohei and Mike Trout is that you want to see these guys in playoff atmospheres. You want to see them in intense situations and see them overwhelm the game. You know what I mean? So I, I don't think moving Shohei is as reasonable as Juan Soto. I think somebody's going to take a chance on Juan Soto I, because of the two years more of arbitration where you don't have to give him the massive contract. And the idea of getting a guy like Juan Soto, who is so freaking good, and then put him in a situation on your team where he's playing for free agency, where he's still encouraged to put up numbers and not get lazy, I think is very enticing. And at the same time, say you get him for 2022 and your team doesn't make it to the World Series or doesn't make it as far as you want, guess what you can do with them next year if you don't see it working out or your team isn't competing? Man, you can flip that guy for four or five more prospects and just restock your your system or restock your major league ball club with some guys. And I think that's why Juan Soto could be so appealing, and I think he, he will be moved. I totally agree with you. I mean, this this is a very unique situation where they tried to jump the yeah. shark and give him the 15 years, 440, but two years under control. You could actually probably trade him for the same players. Trade him to a team for four prospects. Take those four prospects and trade back for him eventually if you want him. <laughs> yeah. Almost like, hey, we'll take... And if you don't trade him back, obviously you get four or five guys for him. Those guys mm-hmm. can help your organization. And then if you have him, you can trade him to another organization and replenish your, uh, yes. you know, the stockpile that you gave up to get him. So it's a very unique it's situation. We don't see this very often, but I, I totally agree with you. It's fascinating. All right. We got two more things. One of them is a little bit of a left turn. 
but I wanted to ask you as a big leaguer here, um, Kyler Murray this week uh, came out. He got a $200 million deal, uh, like 230 I think, with $160 million guaranteed. God. Um, and Yes, but there was a clause in his contract that stipulated he needed to be studying game film four hours a week outside of the facility. So, yes, he's in there all the time. Um, you know, this kind of goes to the, like, you know, Justin Verlander, you need to be in here doing your conditioning and running the stadium at least three times a week. Um, you know, we we're going to send you home with the iPad. Let's make sure you're studying the opposing team's lineups. I mean, look, the reason you get paid, you know, $40 million a year is because you did all of the things above and beyond, uh, aside having that ability, um, you did all the things that you needed to do to get there. So we're going to give you $200 million, $230 million max contract, Kyler, because we believe in you. We know you can take us to the promised land, but we're going to add this clause in there. So um, it got blown out of proportion, but I wanted to know your thoughts on that, Blummer. I was blown away. First of all, you know, the way it, it, the way the season ended, Kyler Murray was my uh, fantasy quarterback and he put up great numbers, but towards the end of the season kind of waned a little bit. And uh, I was just surprised for a couple of things. I was, I wasn't surprised that they gave him the money because I think he's a very good quarterback, but at the same time, why would you offer a guy who you think doesn't study enough or doesn't work hard enough to give him that money? Exactly. That's that's where I was like, wait a minute, you you think he's good enough for the money, but at the same time, you don't think he works hard enough. And you're going to pay this guy a ridiculous amount of money who you think doesn't work hard. That's where I got kind of thrown off. And then I was surprised that that clause was in there. But guess what? He signed the contract with that clause on it. And that's where it gets a little messed up too. I'm going, wait a minute, you you agreed to sign the contract knowing that there was a homework clause on here. And then you have a press conference either, I think it was yesterday, where you said, man, that's messed up where you guys think I don't study. Of course I do. I'm, I'm a professional quarterback. And, and then they, they nix the deal and they take the clause out of there. So I don't know what's going on. It was crazy. But man, if it didn't expose how they actually thought that Kyler Murray prepared for football games, if anything, I hope that it encouraged him to do a little bit better job at, at studying and, and learning the system and being prepared for some of these games because the talent is – if he hasn't studied before, unreal how good he is. Now you add the preparation part to it imagine what he could be. That's what might be frightening about this whole Kyler Murray situation is that he's talented enough to win, but now you add the preparation aspect to it and you add a, a you know, eventually you're going to get uh, Hopkins back from uh, suspension and you have Zach Ertz already. Psh, he, he, he might be an MVP candidate if he studies. Yep, I think I know who you're drafting. We've gotten our uh, we've gotten our fantasy football <laughs> emails. In, the yeah. draft is coming up here. Uh, Kyler yeah, Murray again, gone. year two. Let's run it back. You know what's interesting about it, and I think you hit the nail on the head, which is maybe it just makes him. You know, we typically we talked about the booing, um, you know, of Altuve and Bregman still going on in visiting ballparks. Maybe it just you know gives him that one little extra like twist yeah. of the knife, that one little extra bit of motivation, and I do think. You know, the way the games change with, you know, Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray and, you know, now uh, the quarterback for uh, the Niners is going to take over. They basically said they would trade Garoppolo, um, you know, now that he's healthy from surgery. Um, you know, the game, you know, uh, who's the guy in uh, in Chicago, the quarterback that was uh, 
Josh uh, Fields. Fields. So, yep. yeah, so you have, I mean, the game has changed. These are big, mobile, strong-arm quarterbacks, and so it's a different style. Josh Allen's another one in Buffalo. I mean, Ooh. you know, he can run, he can, you know, he's like Big Ben, but he runs with a purpose, you know, instead of just Great having time. guys draped on him. So the game has changed in that regard, but you're right. I mean, it doesn't seem like Brady and Aaron Rodgers seem to be cerebral. Can you imagine the cerebral component with the mobility and the, you know, I mean, and I think that's probably where the Cardinals were going with that. But the clause just seemed, like you said, a little bit of talking out of both sides of your mouth. If somebody's going <laughs> to offer you a max deal, $200 million, like you shouldn't need the clause in there because they already know that you're the guy. So it's probably enough about that. I just think what a weird week it must have been for him, but maybe this is what gets him over the hump. So kind of, you know, it's what goes on in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse unless some reporter reads a contract and pulls a clause out. And now you have at a press <laughs> conference about it. Hey, so oh, I got something for you. It's a little bit like a what, what'll Tuttle say. So nice, I have not. I have not watched uh, the latest season of Stranger Things, but um, maybe you know that the Kate Bush song, I don't remember the song, it's come back. It was in 1985. It was one of the better songs, and now it's come back because they used it in Stranger Things. But here's the stat that I got for you. And we texted, a friend of mine texted me that last week, July 24th, I think, Caddyshack and Back in Black came out on the same day. Oh, yeah. They were released on the same day. How about this? This is your stat of the day. Stranger Things had a scene in there where the guy plays a guitar solo from Master of the Puppets. So Master of the Puppets came out in 1986. It was Metallica's kind of like, uh, I don't that know, was a preeminent. Album, right, much, yeah. breakout album. There you go. It was their breakout album. Never been in the Billboard charts ever. Like, everybody loved Metallica. It was on Stranger Things Season 4. It's in the Billboard Top 20. As it, 1986 the album came out, now it's in the Billboard Top 20. So I've been making fun of... That's right. I've been making fun of my kids wearing like Def Leppard shirts and Rolling Stone shirts and they haven't heard any of the songs. But if you see kids in middle school and high school wearing a Metallica shirt that says Master of the Puppets, at least there's some chance that they've heard and listened to the music so stranger things season four just came out master of the puppets came out in 1986 it is now in the billboard uh top charts for the first time ever and you know lars ulrich is sitting on his couch going cha-ching <laughs> cha-ching cha-ching dude those guys anyway isn't that a crazy statistic everything yeah that is crazy that's fascinating. I mean, it, it took him what? That thing was probably, what did you say, released 30, 40 years ago, and now it's 1986. On the top 20. So 40 years ago, this thing comes yeah. out. It's just, you're going, dude, these guys are crazy, man. Ma master, yeah. master. You know, these guys are <laughs> like barking into the microphone. And they, who the hell? Your mom's listening. Yeah. You're listening to it in your room, and your mom is banging on the door going, are you okay in there? And, you know, right. and now they're finally, it takes a it takes a, a streamed video of a, of a TV show show to have them catch fire and be be at the top 20 so yeah. we were way ahead of the curve back in the day man we knew what we yeah, were we doing were. back then that's right we did <laughs> anyway that's all i got i just i love that i thought that was crazy that is and good so now i now i can't make fun of my kids wearing a concert t-shirt with metallica and like you said because now they know one know. song yeah one song <laughs> that's all they need to know all right all right, let's close it up. Closing up shop for the week, Blummer. I'm glad to, that you're back home. Glad to catch up with you. And uh, as always, we like to give a shout out to um, our military first responders 
healthcare workers, teachers, vacation, get your feet off the chaise lounge, time to go back oh, to work. Ready. Even yeah, though, they're getting back. Yeah. We trust you. We know you're putting your curriculum together for the upcoming school year, and it's greatly appreciated. Um, I know the the COVID cases have uh, increased, but it seems like the response and the um, the severity has lessened. So we're in this brave new world, but uh, we really appreciate everybody that gives us the opportunity to do this podcast free and clear of anything else that we uh, that we have to do. So um, if you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer and blummer. Take us out. Get after it and believe it. If you don't have the stuff to execute the, what the numbers are saying, you have to revert back to the fundamentals. And what are the fundamentals? Yeah. Hard in, soft away. Yeah. That's what she said.